Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Epilogue 1, Chapter 10. Does this marriage satisfy you as an ending for Pierre and Natasha? Thyroid Dude says, yes, this marriage satisfies me as an ending for Pierre and Natasha. It was never going to remain a romantic fantasy marriage, but rather has matured and evolved into a traditional realistic relationship. Natasha has absorbed herself into homemaking and Pierre though probably still a quirk, still quirky, seems more mature and settled. Suf Jan fan says, I enjoyed this chapter, though I feel like I could read it in as good faith as possible and savor the peculiarities of the connection or take it with a bit more of a critical eye and point out how many aspects are toxic or just make me sad. Did seem a little bit... Well, I don't know if it was one-sided or if it's just that this chapter was kind of from Natasha's point of view because we don't really get a view of the relationship from Pierre's eye so far you know it was more skewed to Natasha so it did feel a little bit unbalanced but um I don't know about toxic I didn't I didn't really feel it was too toxic Kara Kikar says my problem with this chapter is that I don't trust Tolstoy as a narrator I think I'm supposed to take away that Natasha and Pierre have fallen into a particular kind of life where they fulfill their roles and they are satisfied. I think I'm just not convinced that Tolstoy would know what would satisfy a woman like Natasha. So although I could take him at his word, every part of me wants to scream that if Natasha felt like she had other options, she might choose differently. I just don't believe that Tolstoy has enough experience with a woman's inner life to be able to convey her true feelings. That's a good point. I felt sad for Natasha in this chapter. Um, like that spark having gone from her eyes or that, you know, that joy, joyful, youthful smile is just gone now. Um, and how she's just kind of settled into the role of mother and wife. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a mother and a, a, a wife, but it's sad that that would mean that this, the spark would leave her, you know. Um, so it does seem like something's not quite perfect for Natasha. Uh, Twisted Every Way says, I don't know, this chapter made me a little sad. I suppose there is probably not much room for romance in early 19th century Russia, but Pierre and Natasha's relationship wasn't really spoken about with any sense of tenderness or understanding. Yeah, it just kind of seemed like a very grown-up marriage, like they've both been in love and had their hearts broken and been through the ringer and now you know what this will work let's just get married and and be a husband and wife and it's it's like a I don't know convenience thing almost I'm going to read you chapter 11 goes like this two months previously when Pierre was already staying with the Rostovs he had received a letter from Prince Theodore asking him to come to Petersburg to confer on some important questions that were being discussed there by a society of which Pierre was one of the principal founders. On reading the latter, that, that letter, she always read her husband's letters, Natasha herself suggested that he should go to Petersburg, though she would feel his absence very acutely. She attributed immense importance to all her husband's intellectual and abstract interests, though she did not understand them, and she always dreaded being a hindrance to him in such matters. To Pierre's timid look of inquiry after reading the letter, she replied by asking him to go, but to fix a definite date for his return. He was given four weeks' leave of absence. 
Ever since that leave of absence had expired more than a fortnight before Natasha had been in a constant state of alarm, depression and irritability, Denisov, now a general on the retired list and much dissatisfied with the present state of affairs, had arrived during that fortnight. He looked at Natasha with sorrow and surprise, as at a bad likeness of a person once dear, a dull, dejected look, random replies and talk about the nursery was all he saw and heard from his former enchantress. Natasha was sad and irritable all that time, especially when her mother, her brother Sonia or Countess Mary, in their efforts to console her, tried to excuse Pierre and suggested reasons for his delay in returning. It's all nonsense, all rubbish, those discussions which lead to nothing and all those idiotic societies, Natasha declared of the very affairs in the immense importance of which she firmly believed. And she was, sorry, and she would go to the nursery to nurse Petra, her only boy. No one else could tell her anything so comforting or so reasonable as this little three-month-old creature when he lay at her breast and she was conscious of the movement of his lips and the snuffling of his little nose. That creature said, you are angry, you are jealous, you would like to pay him out, you are afraid, but here am I, and I am he. And that was unanswerable. It was more than true. During that fortnight of anxiety, Natasha resorted to the baby for comfort so often and fussed over him so much that she overfed him and he fell ill. She was terrified by his illness and yet that was just what she needed. While attending to him, she bore the anxiety about her husband more easily. She was nursing her boy when the sound of Pierre's sleigh was heard at the front door and the old nurse, knowing how to please her mistress, entered the room inaudibly but hurriedly and with a beaming face. Has he come? Natasha asked quickly in a whisper, afraid to move lest she would rouse the dozing baby. He's come, ma'am, whispered the nurse. The blood rushed to Natasha's face and her feet involuntarily moved, but she could not jump up and ran and ran out and run out. The baby again opened his eyes and looked at her. You're here, he seemed to be saying, and again lazily smacked his lips. Cautiously withdrawing her breast, Natasha rocked him a little, handed him to the nurse and went with rapid steps towards the door. But at the door she stopped as if her conscience reproached her for having in her joy left the child having in her joy left the child too soon, and she glanced around. The nurse with raised eyebrows was lifting the infant over the rail of his cot. Go, ma'am, don't worry, go, she whispered, smiling, and with the kind of familiarity that grows up between a nurse and her mistress. Natasha ran with light footsteps to the anteroom. Denisov, who had come out of the study into the dancing room with his pipe, now for the first time recognised the old Natasha. A flood of brilliant, joyful light poured from her transfigured face. He's come, she exclaimed as she ran past, and Denisov felt that he too was delighted that Pierre, whom he did not much care for, had returned. On reaching the vestibule, Natasha saw a tall figure in a fur coat unwinding his scarf. It's he, it's he, really he. He's come, she said to herself, and rushing at him, embraced him, pressed his head to her breast, and then pushed him back and gazed at his ruddy, happy face covered with hoar frost. Yes, it is he, happy and contented. Then all at once she res- remembered the tortures of suspense she had experienced for the last fortnight, and the joy that had lit up her face vanished. She frowned and overwhelmed Pierre with a torrent of reproaches and angry words. Yes, it's all very well for you. You are pleased. You've had a good time. But what about me? You might at least have shown consideration for the children. I am nursing and my milk is spoiled. Petra was at death's door. But you were enjoying yourself. Yes, enjoying. 
Pierre knew he was not to blame, for he could not have come sooner. He knew this outburst was seeming was unseemly and would blow over in a minute or two. Above all, he knew that he himself was bright and happy. He wanted to smile, but dared not even think of doing so. He made a piteous, frightened face and bent down. I could not on my honour, but how is Pitcher? All right now. Come along, I wonder you're not ashamed. If only you could see what I was like without you, how I suffered. You're well. Come, come, she said, not letting go of his arm, and they went to their rooms. When Nicholas and his wife came to look for Pierre, he was in the nursery holding his baby son, who was again awake on his huge right palm and dandling him. A blissful bright smile was fixed on the baby's broad face with its toothless open mouth. The storm was long since over and there was bright joyous sunshine on Natasha's face as she gazed tenderly at her husband and child. And have you talked everything well over with Prince Theodore? she asked. Yes, capitally. You see, he holds it up. She meant the baby's head. But how did he frighten me? You've seen the princess. Is it true she's in love with that? Yes, just fancy. At that moment, Nicholas and Countess Mary came in. Pierre, with the baby on his hand, stooped, kissed them, and replied to their inquiries. But in spite of much that was interesting and had to be discussed, the baby, with the little cap on its unsteady head, evidently absorbed all his attention. How sweet, said Countess Mary, looking at and playing with the baby. Now, Nicholas, she added, turning to her husband, I can't understand how it is you don't see the charm of these delicious marvels. I don't and can't, replied Nicholas, looking coldly at the baby, a lump of flesh. Come along, Pierre. And yet he's such an affectionate father, said Countess Mary, vindicating her husband, but only after they are a year or so old. Now Pierre nurses them splendidly, said Natasha. He says his hand is just made for a baby's seat. Just look. Only not for this, Pierre suddenly exclaimed with a laugh, and shifting the baby, he gave him to the nurse. There we go, there's another chapter for you, Pierre being a dad. Kind of cute. Alright, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.